You're my kind of Democrat. The one that just sits there. (laughs) (laughs) Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. Sean McGavar. And I'm Scott Elbstrom. He was the first Texan to serve as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives and as Vice President of the United States. He was outspoken, cantankerous, and controversial, and he relished in his nickname of Cactus Jack. This week we cover part one of our discussion on John Nance Garner. But first, what's your favorite succulent in Texas? Well, I'm just going to say it's the beautiful prickly pear. And as we learned from our uh, super drought episode a few weeks ago, it, uh, it kept up a lot of Texas livestock going in the 50s yeah um i would have picked the prickly pear as well but um since you chose it um i will say the yucca the yuccas uh actually i think is quite a beautiful plant um can't say i've eaten any yucca though i have but i have eaten prickly pear both the fruit and Mm -hmm. uh, the leaves um the fruit was better yucca is very very good yeah i can't i i know it's edible i just uh, can't recall if I've actually eaten it. So, well, uh, my pick is gonna be uh, anyone that I don't actually have to touch. Uh, <laughs> pick for my favorite cactus. Um, actually, uh, Cabeza de Vaca called them tuna, uh, prickly pears, and the uh, the the fronds of the cactus. He called them tuna. Uh, so, if you're reading his his memoirs, don't get confused. He's not talking about the fish. He's talking about cactus. Hmm. Yeah, um, and that's why I was confused when I went to a uh, grocery store one time looking for prickly pear fruit, and it was uh, being sold as tuna. <laughs> there you go. I, was, I couldn't find it. I was like, where's the prickly pear? And I was like, right there, behind the label that says tuna. I thought that made perfect sense. <laughs> well, I would say, too, um, a runner-up might be the, uh, the the fantastic agave plant because, you know— Sammy yeah, Hagar and Cabo Wabo, of... baby. Well, mm. also, uh, yeah, I don't. You get a sunburn. Agave's really good for you. No, I, mean, I know, but they make a lot. Of, you know, tequilas made out of it. I think you're confusing it with uh, aloe vera. Oh well, is an aloe vera also from a succulent? It is. I another, believe it is. It is another kind of succulent. Yeah. Okay, then my my pick is aloe vera because when I get sunburned, <laughs> that's what I need. Oh my <laughs> Go to your Home Depot. Ask for the succulent department, and then just browse around and see what you like. John Nance Garner III was described by British journalist Alistair Cook as the last public man linking the America of the Civil War and the America of the Nuclear Age. He rose from a one-room cabin in the Red River Valley to control the House of Representatives and the Vice Presidency of the United States. He spent another quarter century in retirement as an advisor to Democratic leaders. Along the way, he picked up a reputation for a straight-shooting, cantankerous attitude and the nickname Cactus Jack, both for his Uvalde roots and his prickly personality. Garner was born in 1868, the son of a farmer and former Confederate cavalry trooper named John Nance Garner II. He was born in a one-room, mud-chinked cabin in Texas's Red River Valley, which is near the town of Detroit. We talked about that a few weeks ago in our counties episode. Garner's family came to Texas in 1842 when his grandmother, a widow named Rebecca, braved the trek from Tennessee with six children in order to settle in the Young Republic. 
She raised her family in the land south of the Red River, which is northeast of Dallas, and the family did well through hard work and perseverance. Garner's father prospered and later moved the family to a two-story white house on Main Street in town. Texas, in the years after the Civil War, was still a frontier. He would later say that as a child, he knew a woman who had been scout. Garner went to such schools as was available in nearby Bogota and Blossom Prairie. When he was 16, he decided he wanted to be a lawyer and went to work at his uncle's dry goods store in Clarksville to save some money. He also played shortstop on Clarksville's semi-pro baseball team. When Garner was just 18, he earned enough money to go to Vanderbilt University in Tennessee, staying only one semester before his health failed him. He returned to Clarksville and studied law under M.L. Sims. He was admitted to the bar in 1890, and remember, this was a time when lawyers didn't necessarily have to go to law school. He ran for city attorney in Clarksville, but he failed to win, and his health failed him yet again. Possibly could have been asthma or maybe tuberculosis. Doctors advised him to move to a drier climate, so he went southwest to San Antonio to beautiful Uvalde, Texas, and there he resumed his legal career. After a short time in Uvalde, Garner joined the law firm of Clark and Fuller, forming a successful practice. They didn't always get cash for their services, though. Garner was the trading partner, and he parlayed the barter that they got for their services, such as, you know, goats and sheep and cows and things like that. Into uh, He took that and turned it into a thriving and diversified set of holdings. They also Mm -hmm. bought a newspaper in town, and Garner became the editor, sharpening his wit, writing editorials on local and state politics. So, once again, um, (laughs) we have a Texan that uh, began his career as a lawyer and went into newspapering, um, while all the while doing some sort of business to make money. Even, Even in the 1890s. So, in 1892, Garner was appointed to fill a vacancy as a county judge. He was just 24 years old at the time. The regular term for the position came up in 1893, and Garner ran for the seat in the election. His opponent in the Democratic primary was a young woman named Mariette, or Eddie, Reiner. Garner won the election, and two years later, he won Eddie over, marrying her on November 25, 1895. They had a son, Tully, in 1896, and they were married for 53 years. Eddie served as Garner's secretary and legal assistant for most of his public life. Oh, I know, right? Garner served as county judge from 1893 to 1896, and in 1898 he ran for the Texas State Legislature, where he served until 1902. He deeply loved life in Uvalde and serving the people of his home. Out late in life, he said that he got his view of the American community on government from his time in Uvalde. He told the people that he would always represent them as long as they'd have him, something he'd do for 40-plus years. He'd always kept his home in Uvalde, and when he was in session, he'd stay in hotels or boarding houses in Austin. His love of his dry and dusty home colored his opinions and taste. During his time in the state legislature, a bill came up for a state flower for Texas. Garner fervently supported the beautiful prickly pear cactus for the honor, and he earned the nickname Cactus Jack. For good or bad, though, the blue bonnet was chosen instead. So here's the sensitive subject. So Garner was a man of his times, and he had many of the same prejudices and prejudgments that were taken for granted at the time, but often seem or are offensive today. In 1901, Garner voted 
for the blatantly racist poll tax, a measure passed to make voter registration more difficult and reduce the number of black and Tejano voters on the voting rolls. The Grange Progressive Farmer Movement had opposed the poll tax for years because it also affected poor white farmers, but they switched their support when it became clear that the law would grant exemptions to property owners and also men of good character or if local law enforcement waived the tax. All this added up to the disenfranchisement of most black and Tejano voters until the 1960, and it effectively ended the Republican Party in Texas until after World War II. So we're not trying to make – Garner was a progressive for his time, but you know there's attitudes that those men, even the best of them had, that are very offensive to us today. So we want to make sure that's, that's clear. We're not saying that he's a saint, but yeah, there you go. While in the legislature, Garner voted to establish a new 15th United States Congressional District, which included Uvalde. He was 34 when he was elected as its first representative and entered the U.S. House of Representatives as a freshman Democrat on November 9, 1903. He served continuously for 15 terms until March 4, 1933. During the 30 years he served as a representative, the Garners lived exclusively in hotels, never owning a home except the small house on their patch of land in Uvalde, where they started their marriage, and the bigger brick house next to it that they built as their fortunes improved. Garner spent the early part of his career in the legislature listening and examining the legislative process. Republicans held a strong majority in the House anyway. Indeed, it was January 5, 1905 before he made any comments in the House, and eight years before he made his first speech. His main efforts appear to have been devoted to obtaining a federal building for Eagle Pass and a new post office in his district. Early in his years in Congress, he developed a simple rule for success. Get elected, stay there, and gain influence through seniority. By 1909, Garner became minority whip, tasked with gathering votes for important measures and building coalitions. Garner supported the passage of the federal income tax, but opposed most tariffs except for those on wool and mohair, which were important to his Texas base. He also believed in rural investment, bringing taxpayer dollars to farmers of the Brush County region of South Texas. In 1913, the Democrats finally gained a majority in the House, and Garner became recognized as a leader in the caucus. He became the unofficial liaison between President Woodrow Wilson and the House of Representatives. And I would think that, he, that Colonel House, who was an advisor to Wilson, maybe had something to do with that. Indeed. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. Um, after World War I, when Republicans took back control of the government, Garner found himself the ranking minority member of a number of committees. He was popular with his fellow House members in both parties. Garner held what he called his, quote, Board of Education during the era of Prohibition, which he opposed, which was a gathering spot for lawmakers to drink, or as Garner called it, strike a blow for liberty. In 1929, Garner was chosen to serve as minority floor leader for the Democrats, and he worked well with his counterparts across the aisle who were just struggling to deal with the collapse of the stock market. Two years later, as the country was locked in the throes of the Great Depression and Republicans fell from power in Congress, Garner was elected Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, the first Texan ever to achieve such a high office. Garner worked hard with his Democratic colleagues to battle the worst effects of the Depression, working with Republicans across the aisle where he could. 
He also worked with President Hoover sometimes, though other times he worked to prevent Hoover's efforts that Democrats felt were hurting the economy. Uh, sometimes it was a bitter fight. Years later, Hoover would say, quote, John Garner knew how to play politics. He was master of the game, but he was a true patriot, a sound thinker, and absolutely trustworthy in his engagements. After just a year, it was clear that change was coming for the country, and the Republicans would fully lose all grip on power. Garner was in a key position as Speaker of the House to provide a dominant leadership role in the Democratic Party's plan to recover the country from the Great Depression. History would show, however, that Garner's role would be far ex History would show, however, that Garner's role would be far different from the one that he had expected. And join us next time for part two of Cactus Jack. I mean, that's not the end of the story. No. There's more to come. More to come. Well, you know what's cool? Cactus Jack will return. I mean, the funny (laughs) thing is, like, you, uh, you know, talking about Colonel House there for a minute, like, the fact that there's all of these, uh, you know, Wilson-era politics and these big party machines of, of Texas and that there's all this... There's all this political intrigue that all happened, you know, uh, pre-World War II, as well as, you know, it's not just Sam Houston and the Alamo. Like, we've got a lot of other good stuff happening here in terms of what Texas's involvement in Texas politics has been. Well, and I, I like the idea. I really like the idea of this this young guy. He's 22 years, 21 years old, and he just became a lawyer, you know, not going to law school. He just studied law. I think the today I shall be a lawyer. <laughs> well, he studied for like two or three years under, you know, that's that's how they did things. I mean, that's how Sam yeah. used to became a lawyer, too. That's how most people became lawyers in the 1800s, you know, but law schools were starting <laughs> to pop up. But, yeah, you studied law under a lawyer. You apprenticed, basically, and then you, you went before the bar and you showed you knew your stuff. And, I mean, that's how Abraham Lincoln did it, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like the idea that, you know, he lost he, – his health failed, you know, probably asthma or something like that. He was, he was kind of a little guy. He was – uh, they said when he went to Congress, he weighed like 130 pounds, and he was five foot like six or five foot five or something. So he was he was a wiry little guy. Uh, he, you know, he did play baseball. He was athletic, but he uh, he goes out to the better climate, son. The doctor, the doctor's advice: get to a better climate. And so he stays in Texas, but goes to the desert basically. And I just like the idea. Of this guy, he's like 20, 22 years old, 23 years old. He sets up a law firm takes cows and sheep for payment, and then he's like, I'm going to run for judge. <laughs> you know? yeah, well, know. he got appointed judge before he, got he appointed. ran. Yeah, he was, he was popular enough to get appointed to the judge, and then he ran. You know, it, it, was, it was a time, you know, there was no Republican opponent, so the, the Democratic primary was the, uh, was the real thing. And, and that, what's funny is that, is that Eddie ran for the judgeship even though women weren't allowed to vote at the time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it tells me that she probably was at least had read for the law as well, although who knows? You don't have to really be a lawyer to be a judge in Texas. Oh, Texas. Yeah. Classic Texas. Yeah. Do you have, to be, a, do you have uh-huh. to be a newspaper man to be a judge in Texas? In the 1800s, probably. Well, I find it interesting <laughs> that he got elected. Well, I mean, like he went to Congress. And then he just said, he just sat there and didn't open his mouth. Just yeah. listened. <laughs> Wrote down Just important listen. things, and got very popular by not speaking. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I love the idea that you're my kind of Democrat, the one that just <laughs> sits there. 
Now, now we can't. We've got to. We. I don't. I don't support those tariffs except for mohair and <laughs> and wool and mutton and wool. <laughs> well, you know, I it, politics is a. I mean, it's a weird negotiation. But what a place to be from. I mean, you know, if like you couldn't pick two different, two more diverse landscapes in Texas between Detroit and Uvalde. Still yeah. be in the same <laughs> nestled in. <laughs> Yeah, one well. is dangerously like almost Arkansas, and then the other one is you know dangerously almost Mexico. <laughs> you're within the you you. I just mean my my point is just is like you know one is kind of dusty like the moon, and the other one is yeah. like uh, you know lush. It's Tatooine and Endor. That's what I'm saying. Okay, Star Wars yeah. guys. That's my <laughs> metaphor. Well, and and the fact that you know he was born in 1868, his father fought for the Confederacy. His grandmother came to Texas from you know Tennessee into the Republic of Texas. You know, and and what I what was fascinating was that she lived to see him be elected to the Speaker of the House in 1932, 90 years after she had moved her family to Texas. That's what's amazing. She was. Very, you know, she she passed away in like 1932. Uh, she lived to be like 90 something. So, you know, this was a person who lived a humongous life. You know, and she saw so many things. And she, you know, to pack up your six children by yourself <laughs> and come to the frontier of another country—it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, this was, these were not uh, simpler times with really. Tough people, man. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, but he's definitely he's got to be in like my top top five for nicknames. <laughs> Cactus Jack. Uh, well, I'm excited to hear the second half of this story. It goes that he went from just a small town boy living in South Detroit all the way to the halls of power in Washington D.C. <laughs> Not quite the same South Detroit. Well, I mean, it's a pretty small town. Detroit South. Detroit South. <laughs> Detroit South. <laughs> this is South Detroit. North Detroit is the one in Michigan. South Detroit is the one in Texas. That's what uh, Steve Perry was talking about all those years ago. I'm just saying yep. don't stop believing, Sean. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You like it a show? You like it a show. So tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.